Yo, yo, welcome back to another episode of Breadcrumbs of Inspiration. Man, I am super stoked. I've probably never been so excited about a freaking episode in my entire life because this shit has the absolute potential to change your life uh, at, at so many different levels because there's so many layers to Bitcoin, to blockchain, to cryptocurrency, what's happening in the world right now, and how timely this episode is. And if you're listening to this, it means that the uh, the up-and-coming stimulus package has been dropped. Another, I believe it's like 1.5 or 2, 1.9 or something like that, trillion dollars uh, injected into the economy again as uh, as relief, so they call it. And uh, I wanted to wait until uh, that happened because essentially before I get into what Bitcoin is, people have to understand what's happening right now in our financial system. But more importantly, they just have to understand money in general because if you see how money in the financial system and the banks and the government is so freaking messed up, it will be so clear why there needs to be a solution why something like Bitcoin or Bitcoin itself needs to come to the rise for this corruption to stop because it's getting out of hand and it's a little scary when you start to really deep dive into um, how our our money is virtually nothing. Uh, And and I'm going to get into all this, so don't worry. Um, First things first, make sure you have a piece of paper or a pencil and a pen and let's get into this and before I do if you're new to the show if this is your first time listening it's called breadcrumbs of inspiration essentially I want to give people the tools to unlock their deepest potential their truest potential unfold into who they truly are and equip them with all the tools to get there and I truly believe for me one of the biggest leaps in my personal evolution was when I was able to acquire enough money to free, uh, feel kind of freed up energetically from the restrictions of currency and money and, you know, having to do everything for money because at one point in my life, you know, being my entrepreneur nature, I was so money hungry. Everything I did was based around money. I made decisions off of money. I lost friends over money. It was just crazy. And I was kind of programmed from a young age to think that was the way life works, but it's not. And there's so, 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 so much more to life. And there's so much more for you to experience, but you can't really get there from from my perspective and my beliefs if you don't have your basic survival needs met. Like, how am I going to pay for my food? How am I going to pay for my rent? You know, how am I going to pay for my, uh, my my newborn child? You know, all these different things that come into place around money. So being inspired, being your best and greatest self, I believe our nature is abundant. We just have forgotten through the programs of life that we've acquired through, you know, media, social media, our family, our friends who put all these limiting beliefs on our consciousness. And then we adopt those beliefs and it's, it's down the chain and, and we become a, kind of a link in the system and you know, I don't want to be that. And I know you don't want to be that either, but we have to learn not only the proper strategies in creating wealth, but the proper mindset. And to do that, you just have to be educated and you have to know that 
to be honest, and after this episode, you will fully understand this. The system is not your friend. The governments, they don't want you to be rich. <laughs> they don't, period, end of story. You'll understand that in a little bit, but I need you to get that now, and I need you to open your mind to what I'm about to share with you because it's going to be mind-blowing. A lot of people who are listening to this because I know my audience decently well, this is going to be new information to you. So I'm so freaking excited. If you can't tell, I am so passionate <laughs> about finances, about investing, about money, because it is so important. I don't care what anyone tells you. This shit is so important. You got to get your money right and you got to make it work for you. And for me, that changed everything in my life. You know why? Because it allowed me to shift my focus from being greedy and kind of selfish to being selfish and part selfless and part of a bigger mission, part of something that I felt proud of. And I couldn't get there if my consciousness was focused on their survival needs. That's kind of a lower um, way of thinking in, in my opinion. And I believe there's levels of consciousness and part of the spiritual journey is moving through those levels levels, and eventually returning back to you know where we came from. So let's freaking get into this. I'm so stoked. I just almost a little bit too excited here. I got to I got to calm down so I can uh, make sure I I share this information in a very um uh, very clear way. I'm going to try not to bounce around as much. I'm going to try to be clear and concise. No promises. Uh, I tend to get on tangents if you guys have ever listened. But yeah, this show going to teach you how to uh not only unlock yourself uh through mindset, but now today we're going to get into some some practical stuff. Some how-tos and Again, beating the freaking system. That's, what's a, that's what it's all about in every, in every level. <laughs> so, you know, when I was young, and I want to give you guys some context so you can learn from me. I watched a movie called The Secret when I was 16 years old. That's kind of what started. That was a big domino in my journey. And essentially, it talked about the law of attraction, how, you know, you can essentially become, you know, whatever you want. You become what you think about. It talked about vibration energy, law of attraction, and how your thoughts literally manifest into reality. And I fully believed it. And I was 16. I was naive. I believed everything it said. And it got me really amazing results. Uh, by the time I was 17, I was in a $55,000 car, Mercedes-Benz, paid for completely free because I had manifested. I had learned the techniques and applied them and got the results. And then I manifested many other things through my life. I thought I was going to be super rich. And by the time I was 19, I was making a lot of money for my age. Uh, and then I lost it all. <laughs> and um, if I would have known what I know now, my life would have been so different. Because the th thing about investing is the quicker you start, the better. So if you're young, this is even more important. If you're old, this is still super important. But the younger you are, the more you can get ahead. And w when I was in that age, I thought I was going to get like, my thought was, I'm going to get these million-dollar checks. I'm going to get six-figure checks, and that's just going to be my life. I had no idea how. I had no idea how that was going to unfold. It didn't. Well, that day never came. It just never came. And as I got older and life threw different challenges at me, I realized, wow, this it's not going to happen like this. You're not just going to get that big win. And that does happen to some people, like you know, different athletes and movie stars and this and that. And they get these massive, massive checks and they work so hard their whole life, you know, 20, 30, 50 years to earn these huge checks. And then they have zero financial literacy and they, they, they lose it all. 
Like, great example, Mike Tyson, one of the richest athletes in the world, worth half a, I think half a billion dollars, if I'm not mistaken, at his peak, became broke. It's again, money is a mindset. Money is something anybody can acquire with the proper skills, but that's why people who win the lottery, most of them go broke because they didn't earn that. And it's not that they didn't earn it like in a physical sense. They didn't earn it from, they didn't have the correct financial literacy to keep it. They didn't have the mindset of understanding the game of money. Because let me tell you something, money is not just for the select few. That's what you've been programmed to believe, that being rich, being wealthy is some far off thing in the distance. And that's exactly what society wants you to think. I'm here to tell you, that is not true. That is so far from the truth. And I'm going to bring you closer to reality today of the real thing of what's happening right now. But before we get there, don't be like me. (laughs) Don't be like me. Don't think you're going to go through your life and get these massive checks that are going to come in. That's just so unrealistic. So be more practical. And what do I mean by that? You're probably going to start in a job and maybe you already have a job and you're going to save and, and you're going to, you know, pay your bills and do your right things. And hopefully you're going to make more than what you spend. And then when you have a little bit of leftover, that's when you can start investing or you can invest into, and when I say investing, it doesn't mean investing in stocks and cryptocurrency and, and real estate. It means investing in yourself, you know, investing in your education, investing in your business. And that's, you know, kind of what was drilled in my head was always invest in yourself, always invest in your mindset. So I invested in my mindset. I literally, I calculated it one time. I spent almost six figures in the past, I think it was six, five or six years of my life on my personal education. That was different personal development. That was learning about money. That was meditation retreats, all of it. And that's really where I put a lot of my money because I knew if I learned the proper skill sets, that would just make me more in the long term. Well, if I would have known now, if I would have known then what I know now, I probably would have did a few different strategies. So learn from my mistakes, please, 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 please. I know that's a super long, like 10 minute intro, but I just wanted to throw that out there because that is so foundational. And I'm going to show you the power of investing today. I'm going to show you the power of becoming your own economy today. So let's get right into it. So before you understand Bitcoin, you first have to understand, like I was saying, our traditional system and how this crazy thing works. So I'm going to break down money. I'm going to key point. I'm going to say that a lot to this episode. Key point. I keep things simple. I have a poster on my wall. It says, keep it stupid simple. I believe that is the secret to everything. With that, I want to have respect for those that want to know the nitty gritty. So I put a lot of thought and energy and research and defining different examples for you to um, simplify this super complex idea of Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency. Well, not so much cryptocurrency. I'm not going to get into that. But Bitcoin and blockchain specifically and how it all works. I want to say on the flip side of that, you know, explain to me how your cell phone works. Explain to me how a light bulb works. Explain to me how a car works. Like to the finite nitty gritty details. Most people, if you're not an engineer, you probably can't do it. (laughs) Explain to me how the internet works. Explain to me even what the internet is. Like, I don't know. (laughs) So most people have no idea how anything works, yet we use it every single day. You probably don't know how money works. I'm I'm about to explain it to you. So with that in mind, 
keep that in mind when we're when I'm going through this with Bitcoin with blockchain you just need to understand the basics I'm gonna go a little bit I'm gonna kind of skim the top of the iceberg a little bit deeper uh, into the all this stuff but that's not super important but I am gonna do my very best and articulate it in a way that is very simple for you to understand so let's do it so did you know that there is a number I don't know what it is but there's a number I believe it's like $100 trillion. It's the total value of all the money in the world. Okay. Each new dollar created beyond that is considered debt. Well, in America is somewhere in the, in the, in the ballpark of about $140 trillion in debt. So what does that mean? Every dollar that's made, you know, added to circulation when it's printed is considered debt okay and that debt it has to be paid back to somebody <laughs> not only does it have to be paid back to somebody it has to be paid back to them in interest so there is literally never going to be enough money to pay off our debt key point there's never going to be enough money to pay off our debt let that sink in we we will never get out of the debt we're in in this country unless some I don't think they will ever happen. Debt in U.S. currency, I should add. Most of all this money that's in circulation, quote unquote, is essentially digital. It's really just numbers in a computer or what you can call a ledger. Think of it like this. Like when's the last time you use cash? I don't use much cash. Uh, I, I Most people use credit cards. It's just literally numbers going from your bank to a company to their bank and there's all these numbers just going back and forth and even now if you think about it with the pandemic they're not even taking cash some places so physical cash and circulation is close to nothing and essentially all of our money is is just digital digital numbers in a ledger so let it really sink in that the national debt we have will never be paid off but yet we keep on printing more money, AKA the multiple different stimuluses and the one that's about to pass going into the economy. Trillions of dollars. Now, a lot of people at face value be like, yeah, but people can't pay their rent. It's a national emergency, like this and that. That's all valid, but let me continue. The, the financial system, what it does over time is it always prints more money, okay? But here's the problem. That makes it lose its value over time. Here's a fact. Since the early 1900s, we have lost 95%, 95% of our money's purchasing power. Okay, so essentially what that means is if you had $1 in the 1900s, you could buy a bunch of stuff. If you had $1 in today's money, you could buy much less of the same stuff. That's because our value, our, our dollar is rapidly decreasing in its value. This is what's known as inflation. And at this rate, they say inflation is like five or six. I don't know what they say. But if you really look at the numbers, it's more like 10, 15%. And you, I can prove this later. Your money is essentially losing 10% of its value every single year. So for those of you who have no idea what I'm saying, essentially, if you pay $100 and you put it in your savings account, 
What's happening is one year later, you now have $90. And people will say like, wait, no, I don't. Like the money doesn't cut in half or I'm not losing physical money. No, you're not. But here's what's happening. The price of goods is going up. Things are getting more expensive. And we're going to really see this. I have a huge prediction. We're going to really, really see this in the, in the coming months. I think things are going to start. They, they have to because our money is being printed and we're in debt. And it's so much inflation that we're at 95% lost of all its purchasing power. Now, let's talk about what our currency was once backed by. Great thing called gold, precious metal. It was once used as a currency. We created paper claims on our gold, aka money dollars, and it was deemed as secure to transact. We could literally transact gold at one time. But, you know, it's kind of hard to transact. You have to go by weight and shave it down and all this different stuff. So... We created the gold standard and we made money, uh, you know, fully backed by gold. Where at one point, and if you're a millennial, you probably don't know this, but well, some do, but you could literally go to the bank with a ton of cash and just trade it for gold. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Like you could literally just at one time go to, like it sounds so foreign to a millennial, but this is how it used to work. That's how the gold standard was. Our money was backed by something. And the reason gold's interesting is because it's scarce. There's only so much in the world. You can't just go and print more gold <laughs> like you can with, uh, you know, money with uh, U.S. dollars. So this interesting thing happened in 1971. They took away the gold standard. They took it away. They said, nope, money's no longer backed by gold. Hmm, I wonder why. And the government also, this was a government mandate which is really interesting. <laughs> I find that super interesting. And they start, They actually went around and was trying to collect everyone's gold. I wonder why that is. Gold has held its value over time because it's a scarce asset. And again, like I said, it cannot be printed. So essentially what our money is and what I need you to understand, key point, our money is a belief system. Key point, write that down. Now here's where it gets interesting. The faith in our currency can actually be lost by citizens. Something uh, you probably didn't know that in Zimbabwe and Venezuela, the faith in the currency has been completely lost by the citizens in these countries like Zimbabwe, Venezuela. And the reason that is, is because the inflation is, this is a literal fact. The inflation at one point was so rapid that the price of goods was literally changing within hours. Because the, the, the dollar's purchasing power was decreasing because of the inflation, like I explained earlier. And these countries literally have trillion dollar notes <laughs> that are worth like literally, I don't know the exact amount, but it's like dollars, like no more than $10, trillions of dollars of notes because their money is so inflated. So... The belief has been lost by these people. And when this happens, they have to look at different asset classes to, you know, save them from losing all this money. Because again, if the, if the goods of the services are rising so rapidly, your money's being devalued. So you have to find an asset that protects that. And most people look at like a precious metal like gold, or a lot of people even look at the S&P 500 as like a safe, you know, asset that can pay you 10% a year or at least, you know, a few percent or something so that you're not just losing money 
by storing it in a bank account. So key point, our money is rapidly inflating and we need to find assets to keep ourselves safe from this inflation. And now, after 25 minutes of the problem, <laughs> I'm going to tell you the solution or maybe a potential solution. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I don't know that much, that much stuff. This is not investment advice. I'm going to say that again. This is not investment advice. Also, sometimes I can't speak. I have borderline dyslexia. So if you ever notice why I'm weird with some, some of my words, that is why. Uh, just a side note. So on January 3rd, 2009, it's Bitcoin's birthday. It was created by an anonymous pers person named Satoshi Nakamoto, who thought he could single-handedly change the financial system and make it right. He published a white paper on a blog, nine pages, that's it, essentially presenting the solution of a potential currency. And it was essentially a peer-to-peer -peer system where the money was not controlled by the governments or the banks. It was people to people. So what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin, there's really two ways to work at, look at it. Digital cash, or better yet, in my opinion, digital gold. And money, like we talked about earlier, it's a store of value. It's a medium of exchange. It's been known as a lot of things, but essentially it's just a belief system. Key point, Bitcoin is digital gold. It allows you to escape the system and it's peer-to-peer -peer cash. I'll get into all that in a second. So how exactly does Bitcoin work? Okay. Now, before I get into this, just bear with me. I am going to try to create a model for you of understanding. And I need you to just bear with me. If you don't understand, try your best to understand. I am trying to make this as simple as possible for you. So imagine you have a bank vault where you have a safety deposit box where you store physical values. These are things that you can do at a normal bank today. But you need a key to open up your box. In Bitcoin, there are something called digital keys. These digital keys can be essentially looked at as really complex password and they're private to you because they're your password so digital key i'm just going to call it private key because it's yours and it's protected by your password so your private key gives you access to a wallet which essentially unlocks billions and billions of other bitcoin addresses okay each one is virtually a safety deposit box that only you can open with your private key. So it's, it's a pretty intense analogy, but I think it makes a lot of sense. You have billions and billions of safety deposit boxes, but only one is unique to you. You get in there by using your private key, like literal key, but it's digital. Okay. So the, this is where it gets cool. The doors to these boxes are transparent and you can see what's in them. These boxes are, but here's the cool thing. They're completely protected. They cannot be copied. They cannot leave the vault. They are 100% secured, unhackable. But this is where it gets interesting. The vault itself is not owned by anyone. It's not owned by a bank. It's not owned by a credit card company. It's not owned by you. It's not owned by Satoshi Nakamoto, which by the way, was anonymous. This, this is owned by no one. And another thing, you don't need anybody to use it. You don't need a bank. You don't need an authority figure. None of that. Key point, private keys, digital wallet. Mining. What is mining? Well, 
before I talk about that, one of the first things you need to understand is that Bitcoin only has 21 million Bitcoins ever created. Ever. Max. Okay? Write that down. So, you use your private key to open your digital wallet, aka your vault. Then, if you want to send money to somebody or Bitcoin to somebody rather, you instruct the network to send Bitcoin to whatever address or aka a person you are sending it to. And that's all just logged through, again, these complex number sequences. And a lot of times when you're sending Bitcoin, you can just use a QR code. It's really easy. Other times you have to like literally write out the whole wallet and you got to make sure you, you write it right because if you miss a letter or a number, it's going to go nowhere um, and you're going to lose your money. So that's how you send it. The Bitcoin network is composed of computers that solve open source, mathematical, cryptographic problems in order to add blocks to the network known as the blockchain. Okay, that's really complex. Just stay with me. I'm going to break this down. All that jargon, it honestly doesn't even matter. But just if you want to literally know what this stuff is, I'm going to explain it. And then I'm going to give you what it is. And then I'm going to break it down. All this info is shared throughout the global network within seconds. Okay, so when you're sending cryptocurrency or, or rather Bitcoin on the blockchain, your information is shared between like all this data is going out. Imagine into like the ether. Okay, and then there's these things called miners or AKA supercomputers that every 10 minutes they're trying to compete to pretty much unsolve this mathematical equation that is sending your Bitcoin. Okay. And this is how I like to explain it. I'm going to bring it. I'm going to give you an example. I love analogies. So imagine you're in a video game and you have to, you have to do certain things to unlock the next level. Okay, and once you like beat certain missions and do certain things and unsolve the mystery, boom, the door opens and you're now on the next level. That's exactly how mining works. There's these supercomputers solving all these complex problems. And what happens is if they solve the problem, the supercomputer, boom, they get Bitcoin. Okay, they get paid in Bitcoin for processing the transaction to my Bitcoin. Well, it gets sent to the person and it's recorded in a public ledger and that's what the blockchain is okay so essentially key point miners are paid in bitcoin to process transactions stay with me here after each process or after each miner processes the transaction it's structured into a block so just blocks of transactions are put together and essentially just everything's recorded it's all right there and the cool thing about blockchain is each block is added to the previous one. So essentially what I'm saying is every single tra transaction ever recorded in Bitcoin is traceable, it's trackable, it's verifiable. Ever since uh, January 2009, when it was created, every single thing you can see in the blockchain has been recorded since the beginning of time. Now here's where it gets really interesting and I need you to stay with me here. This is gonna all come together and I'm gonna give you another example similar to the video game one. So the way this algorithm works with these mining and these supercomputers that are solving all these complex problems is it's genius because it gets harder to mine the Bitcoin over time. So there, again, there's only so many Bitcoins that are going to be 
let into the system essentially. Right now, there's about 18 million in circulation. Every time somebody's like sending them and, and doing this and that, that's all recorded on the blockchain. Okay, but there's still Bitcoin that have not been mined. Okay, and that's where the supercomputers are trying to solve these really crazy um, algorithms and equations and all this stuff. Okay, well, here's where it gets super genius. Every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that can be mined is cut in half. Okay, every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that can be mined is cut in half. So what happens is the computers get so freaking smart that it's built into Bitcoin's technology that the difficulty of the mining gets more complicated. And the reason it gets more complicated every four years is so that Bitcoin cannot have inflation. Remember that thing I talked about in the er earlier, how our government is just printing off money and it's and it's uh, lowering our purchasing power and our dollars just losing its purchasing power and it's causing a big mess. This single-handedly solves that problem. And that's why gold is known as like a safe haven asset because there's only so much in the world. So it can't be printed. Same with Bitcoin. There is only so much in the world. And in about 100 and I believe it's 120 years, the last Bitcoin is going to be mined. And none of this is going to be possible anymore. And it's going to be boom. This is what it is. This is the price. And, and if supply and demand plays out like it always does, like it is right now, which is why Bitcoin is over, like I think it's like 48,000 then you can see here where, where I'm going with this. So this whole Bitcoin thing is actually a deflationary asset. It's deflationary. And this is built into the Bitcoin technology. And this is exactly what Satoshi Nakamoto published on his white paper. Like I said, he's anonymous, but he broke all this down in a nine-page document. And it makes so much freaking sense. Let's recap. Mining. It's essentially these supercomputers mining Bitcoin. They're also rewarded for, um, you know, creating the, the blockchain, so to speak, and, and processing all these transactions that take place. And obviously, if they mine Bitcoin, they get to decide amongst them who gets to keep it and kind of everyone gets paid. And that's how it keeps rolling. So there's big, large corporations literally investing billions of dollars into, you know, finding and creating these supercomputers and mining Bitcoin because it's going to be worth a lot of money one day. So I mentioned the halving and what the big, the halving is, is that every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that can be mined is about, or is cut in half. And right now I believe we're about 18 million in circulation and Bitcoin has 21 million total that will ever be available. And this started in 2009 uh, with 7,200 Bitcoin entering circulation daily. Then four years later, that was cut in half to um, 3,600 and then, you know, so on and so forth. Fast forward to today, I believe we're around 900 Bitcoin entering the supply daily. And again, like I said, supply and demand plays out huge here. If you have a fixed amount of something and the demand increases, the price will go up. <laughs> That's just how it works. And this is how I look at it. Bitcoin is actually able to protect your wealth because it can never be inflated. It's in, or sorry, it's deflationary. I need you to understand this. Key point. Bitcoin is a deflationary asset. It allows you to escape inflation. This is where it's probably going to make everything I just said is going to come together right here. So bear with me. Make sure you're taking notes. Transparent public ledger. 
That's what Bitcoin uses. Simply put, Bitcoin is just like the game of Monopoly, how it works. Everyone can see exactly where the money is going at all times. There's no third party telling you what to do with the money. It's just something everybody understands. There isn't a bank that transacts and pays you a f- or it makes you pay a fee for using them. And then they say, yes, you know, this is right. This is wrong. It's like, no, everybody in the game is like, all right, dope. Joe, it's your turn. Oh, you land on blue. All right, bro. You got to pay me $27 in rent or whatever the price is. And it's just agreed upon in the game. That's just how it works. Okay. Normal money does not work like that. Normal money works like this. If I want to buy something from you, I have to pay the bank or some third party, and then they give that money to you. In the middle of all that, there's all these fees and processing transactions and all this BS. And that is what's called a centralized system. You know, we believe they're going to do the right things for us. And all these, you know, there's so many different fees that come into place when you buy a house, when you buy a car. And there's so many issues with this, such as your account can be frozen or they can put a, they can put a, you know, a halt on your bank account because you, you only have a certain amount of purchasing power with your own money. I don't know if you, when you were younger and you wanted to buy something for like a thousand dollars, but your debit card had a $500 limit, even though the money was in the bank account, they would still sometimes freeze your ability to spend that. It's happened to me multiple times. It's even happened to me in, in the past couple of years. And I have you know, crazy amounts of uh, spending limits on my credit cards, but sometimes it can happen, even if you're in a foreign country, which is, you know, that's understandable. But here's what I don't like. Instead of a bank or a credit card company reporting everything in one place, all of the users of Bitcoin would record the transactions confirming it to be accurate. No one user or government or bank can force a fee on Bitcoin payments or control how much you pay. This makes it quicker. It makes it easier to spend money from peer to peer because there's no per- middle person. This includes international. If any of you own, own a business and spend, send money international, I, I spend send multiple wires international every single month and I pay thousands of dollars of fees uh, over the course of a year just by having employees you know, outside of the US. And it's Bitcoin solves this problem. There is no fees. It's peer to peer. There's no bank. So when you purchase something with a credit card, the credit card takes a cut. The the vendor's bank takes a cut. Your bank takes a cut. You might not see this literally, but what happens is this price is reflected in your goods and services that you're buying. We don't see like these fees, but they're all there. They're in, they're in the price and, and business has to mark the prices higher because they know, oh, American Express is going to take, take this 3% fee every time someone uses a credit card and they got to, they gotta, as a business owner, you know, have that awareness so that they're not getting screwed on their margins. This is just how business works. And Bitcoin fixes that. Okay. So again, I guess I'm going to reiterate what I said, but sending money internationally can take weeks and tons of fees for literally updating numbers in a computer, which is a really good point. Like, why is it that after 5 p.m. you you can't send a wire or banks are closed on a weekend or wires can't be sent on the weekend? Like, it makes no sense. All of this is just taking place digitally. If you send, if I send a thousand dollars from here to Australia, someone in Australia isn't putting a thousand more dollars in the vault. Like that's not how it works. Like cash. It's just literally numbers updated in a system. This makes literally zero sense in the age of the internet. Just think about this for a second. It's so, so stupid. Um, and you know, what if you could completely cut out these expenses in this middleman? 
That's the idea of Bitcoin. So essentially, with Bitcoin, you don't have that third party. It's people to people, no middle person. What that means is that Bitcoin uses what's called a decentralized system. Nobody controls uh, anything, essentially. Nobody controls any transaction. And again, like I said, I'll reiterate, every transaction that ever took place is on a public ledger or a scoreboard. This is kind of like the game of Monopoly, like I was saying, where a better example is in the Monopoly, if everyone was taking notes every 15 minutes, you guys all verified the transactions like, yes, you know, let's say there's John, Sally, and Ben, Ben, John, and Sally. They're all taking notes every time someone pays rent, every time someone pays utilities, and it's all just there. And then every 10 minutes, you guys kind of recombine and be like, all right, confirm this. Boom, 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 boom. That's exactly how Bitcoin works. That's essentially what's happening just on a digital level. Uh, so when you send money, oh, this is another cool thing. Everything's verifiable. So when you send money, you can actually see where it goes. You can see where that person puts it. You can see what they do after you sent it to them. It's all there. And this is, like I said, every single transaction is literally been recorded. <laughs> every single one is there. So they've actually been able to even solve crimes with this for people trying to hide money essentially in USD. And they thought they could get away with it with Bitcoin by like sending Bitcoin peer to peer. Uh, but what happened was because it's all recorded on the blockchain, they could be like, oh, wait, what's this? And then boom, trace it back to the person's wallet and then boom, catch them. So there's, there's really no getting around here. Uh, another key point, Bitcoin can actually be divided into a Satoshi. So like I said, Bitcoin's price is like 48,000, um, but you can make, there's, I forget what it is, but it's essentially like a hundred million Satoshis equal one Bitcoin essentially. So it's essentially like dollars or cents. Um, same exact thing. And yeah, that's really important if you want to know, like if you want to be, uh, if someone's really skeptical about, is this essentially like meet the criteria of a currency? So key point. I know, I know I'm going a lot here, but it should all come together and you may need to listen to this episode more than once, but it's all really, really important information. The key points are really all you need to know, but I'm giving you the nitty gritty because I know some people are going to want it. Key point, Bitcoin is transparent. It's peer-to-peer. -peer. It's be your own bank. And essentially, it eliminates the middleman. I don't know about you. I hate the middleman. I've been trying to eliminate the middleman my whole life. <laughs> all right. Quantitative easing. Oof. This is where it's going to it's gonna get rough for some people. Sorry, this is just the truth. What is quantitative easing? The literal definition. Central banks purchase government bonds or other financial assets in order to inject money into the economy to jumpstart activity, aka the multiple different stimuluses we saw this past year and in 2020. Uh, based on your income bracket, you got, I forget what it was, 600 or 1400 uh, if you were like under 75,000 or something like that. So essentially that's what quantitative easing is. Uh, what this does though, is it makes everything rise from stocks, you know, economy activity, real estate. So what we think, so what they think all the time is like, wow, the economy is going great. Let's do another stimulus. And then they pump another stimulus into the economy thinking there's no repercussions, even though they do know there will be repercussions. But again, the system isn't out to be your friend. Um, what this does again, increases assets, but what it really does is it decreases your purchasing power. And I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it back to this point because if you missed it in the beginning, I'm re-saying it now. Your dollar's purchasing power is completely dropping. And I'll prove it to you. And if you're not an investor, this might not make sense to you, but these are the facts. 
ever since the pandemic started, there was the obviously the, the dip, but all of a sudden things started getting really good from a stock market perspective. In stock market, it's the value of these companies, you know? So if we're in a national global emergency, why are like airline stocks going up or Disney stocks or these different stocks like real estate markets booming? Why? <laughs> it's not really booming. What's happening is your dollar is being so rapidly decreasing in its value that it's making it seem like these assets are becoming more expensive. And in a sense, their price is going up, but they're not becoming more valuable. It's just your dollar is becoming weaker. I need you to understand this. If you understand this, you will literally have a better financial education than almost everybody on the planet. And this is why the rich get richer and the poor get poor because the poor people hoard cash. That is the worst thing you can do. And, and you'll know that's the worst thing you can do if you can understand this. If rich people, what they do is they hoard assets. They buy and they put their cash into assets because it protects their money. And if it's a good asset, it will make them money because the assets aren't really ever going to you know, go down in value. Of course that can happen. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not huge in the stocks. Um, I buy things that I buy in real life. If you buy things from Amazon or you have an Apple phone or you ride in a Tesla or Mercedes Benz, or, you know, you use Netflix, you should own that stock. That means you believe in it. Uh, I don't do anything outside of that. I only buy in companies I believe in. And if you're using them, they're probably decently, they're probably decently good assets because they're probably well known. So, the money is worth less, so you need more dollars to buy the stock. The money is worth less, so you need more dollars to buy the real estate. The money is worth less, so you need more dollars to buy even the Bitcoin. That's why Bitcoin's going up right now. Well, that's one of the reasons why Bitcoin is going up right now. Essentially, the dollar is being completely devalued. So again, like I was saying, rich people, they understand this system. Poor people, unfortunately, don't. And why aren't they educated on it? I couldn't tell you. Uh, but... You know, rich people, they don't really have a lot of cash. They put their money in real estate. They put their money in stocks. They put their money in Bitcoin. And the rich get richer as inflation rises. That's why wealth is never destroyed. It's only transferable. Okay, every crisis is such a freaking massive opportunity because there's, and right now more than ever with the digital age, there is such a, 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 a transfer in wealth happening right now. And Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is one of those reasons you have the power right now, but you need to understand this information so you can make the right decisions in your life. And again, this isn't financial advice. This is all my opinion. Uh, a lot of facts here though, I will say, uh, around like the, the literal facts, but what I'm saying right now, that's just my opinion. But this, all this stuff about inflation and, and gold and this and that and, and, and peer to peer, this is all facts. Okay. That's really important for you to understand. Key point, rich people buy assets. Poor people hoard cash. For the record, um, I essentially hold on to no cash. I'll just say that. The way I see it is, you know, there's really two types of people. People who believe uh, Bitcoin is digital cash. Other people who believe digital gold. Essentially, one group believes it's an asset. Another group believes it's a currency. Uh, I'm still in the middle. I see the potential of it becoming a currency. I know that's absolutely possible. But right now, for me... From an investor standpoint, it's an investment. And the reason that is, is because it's very volatile. Uh, currency needs to, Bitcoin needs to gain some more power uh, in, in terms to its mass adoption, not in terms of its technology. I believe fully in the technology, but it needs to gain more power in terms of its mass adoption 
so the volatility isn't so crazy. And that will just take time. Uh, and I'll explain more on that in a second. Again, key point, only 21 million Bitcoins. That right there eliminates inflation. This is built into the technology. It's a slow release of Bitcoin into the system of new Bitcoin. Do you see how genius this is? Imagine if our government was this smart and was like, nope, boom, we're, we're no more printing. Just no more. The, 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 the value of our dollar would go up. People would be like, holy shit, I'm not going to get free money anymore. I got to go work, huh? Like, yes, yes, this would actually fix the economy. It's that simple. That's why I'm so passionate about this. Is like, they're screwing people, okay? Like, literally, think about this. If the government was just like, no, we're not going to print anymore, boom. It would go right back to the, the people being like, oh, well, wow, this money that I was getting for free, it's just now become so much more valuable, supply and demand. I have to go do things to get more of this cash, okay? And they would work and they would figure out ways and, you know, maybe wages would change and so many different things would happen, okay? But here's the interesting thing, side note, a lot of that stimulus money, if you really look into it, billions, and I mean billions and billions and billions of that trillions of dollars is going back to the government. If they really cared about you, don't you think they would give you a little more? I don't know. I think it's a little phony. Look into it. These are all facts. Think about Bitcoin. It will take about 100 plus years to mine the last coin. I think I already said that. And this is why instead of losing value like a fiat currency over time, it gains value as long as the demand stays, which right now it really, really is. Uh, Bitcoin has compounded over 30% in the past decade. That's a super freaking incredible investment. If you understand compounding interest and how that works. And in 2020 alone, Bitcoin was up 300%. Why it's not a bubble. I wanted to make sure I hit on this. I know I'm approaching an hour, but the reason why it's not a bubble in 2017, when I originally got into Bitcoin, uh, it was still looked at as a potential bubble from <laughs> the person who didn't understand it, to be honest. And I got into it and it was super awesome and I learned a lot and it was so much fun. I didn't know nearly as much as I know now. I've become more passionate since the pandemic and when I really started to understand money and how this all works and how Bitcoin is totally a solution for that. But the reason why Bitcoin is not a bubble because in 2017, the reason why and if you, the reason why I'm referring to 2017 is because that's when a lot of people got exposed to Bitcoin for the first time because it like shot up like crazy. I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but it like jumped up over 50% in like a week or something from like 10,000 to 20,000 or 8,000 to 20,000 or I don't even know if it was that high, but it was, it was something around, around there. I can't quite remember, but what happened was it was people like you and me buying Bitcoin. So we we're essentially, you know, pumping up the price because it was, you know, more people were buying it. And the more people buy it, there's only so much of demand, supply and demand. The price is going up and up and up and up and up. Okay. Cause a lot of like, you know, millions of dollars, millions and hundreds of millions of dollars was being pumped into this thing. Okay. Well then, you know, some big whales got in, they saw this as an opportunity and then they bought, you know, millions and, 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 and millions of dollars and then boom, <laughs> they would sell theirs. They would get rich off essentially you and I boosting the price up and then they would sell when it's high. You and I don't understand investing. So it went way down. It crashed like over, I don't remember again, like 50% in a day, but downwards this time. Okay. Here's the difference now in 2020 or sorry, 2021. It's not you and I buying this anymore. It's the Teslas. 
of the world. It's the visas of the world. The company visa, the credit card company, yep. It's the PayPal's of the world. It's the Jeff Bezos of the world. It's the Elon Musk's, the Paul Tudor Joneses, these multi-billionaires putting billions of dollars, the Kevin O'Leary's, Shark Tank, yep, huge adopter. Not huge, but, you know, 5% of his portfolio, which is billions of dollars. So they're putting billions of dollars into Bitcoin. And that's why it's here to stay. A lot of these big companies see Bitcoin as a safe haven asset, just like gold. Okay, but the difference is Bitcoin's digital, man. It's liquid. You know, how much how much storage do you need to buy for billions of dollars worth of gold? Like, come on, can't you see? We're in the 21st century. We are in the digital economy. If it's not more clear than ever, business is online. Networking and and your social life is online through social media. Don't you think there's going to be a currency that comes online that's solely based for the internet? It's like the internet world. NFTs are getting super popular. Digital art. That's a whole nother thing. And when you really start to understand this, when you really, this is like the tip, 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 tip of the iceberg. But when you understand Bitcoin and the power of the blockchain, it's game over. This shit is going to call, I, I, for the record, I literally think this is going to cause wars because when the government actually understands what is happening right now with cryptocurrency and how it is peer to peer, we don't need the bank anymore. Like you become your own bank when you use Bitcoin. Like we're not obviously there yet, literally, but we can get there if enough people adopt it. Okay. And it's happening and it's happening so freaking rapidly. Uh, Like I said, just a loan in in 2020 is up 300%. And I don't know what it's up in 2021, but it's, it's gone soaring, man. And here's what I recommend. Okay. Put 1%. 2%, 3%, 4%, 5% of your net worth into Bitcoin. Okay? Like I said, I have much more than that because I believe in this stuff. But the, the technology of this is genius. And the blockchain, that's a whole nother thing, which I'll, I'll go into very briefly at the end. But my advice is put 5% of your net worth into Bitcoin. For the record, it's very volatile. Um, I don't think it'll ever... It, it will never go back to zero. It won't even ever go back to 20,000 or 30,000 in my opinion, but I don't even know 40,000 at this point. I know it's not that much farther, but just every day there's new companies, the richest companies in the world announcing they're putting Bitcoin in their balance sheet. Okay. They look at it as a safe haven. So you put 5% of your, your net worth into it, or even if that's too much, 1%, 1% of all the cash you have, boom, put it right into Bitcoin. Don't look at it. Just store it in there. And then if you use an app called Gemini, which is what I recommend you buy Bitcoin with, you can just go ahead and put on automatic purchasing. If you're not somebody who makes a lot of money, do $10 a week. Everybody can spare $10 a week. I don't care who you are. You can do something to make $10 a week and put it into Bitcoin. But here's the thing. Dollar cost averaging. You buy it at the same day, at the same time, each and every week or each and every month. Okay. You can turn the setting on in the app and this is how rich people get super wealthy. This is what I've done. I've done this for a very long time. I've just bought the same amount of Bitcoin like clockwork every single week. 
boom. I've also done it with Ethereum because Ethereum follows Bitcoin. I believe personally in the Ethereum technology, which is a whole nother podcast. But essentially with Ethereum, you can create these things called smart contracts, which eventually uh, will completely disrupt the real estate industry and pretty much all industries that, you know, you, you have a contract with somebody or something where essentially the contract is, is, is coded and it pretty much becomes digitized money where the, the, the money is actually programmable. And the way it works is uh, Ethereum, you have this thing called the smart contract. And I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this because I'm still, I understand it, but I may not be the best to explain it. So let's say you have an agreement with Bob and you're like, all right, Bob, you know, on the, on the first of the month, you owe me, you know, $2,000 for rent. And that's encoded in, in the Ethereum uh, smart contract. And if for whatever reason, Bob doesn't pay you that, or better yet, Ethereum automatically takes that and gives it to Bob because it's, it's your money is essentially held in your digital wallet, AKA your own bank. And if the money's not in there, that's obviously a problem. You can't afford the house. And there would be something built into the smart contract where it's like, oh, well, you're foreclosed or, you know, you get this notice and that's all built inside of this technology. You don't need a person manually doing this. And then boom, your money just gets sent to Bob every single month. Boom, boom, boom. And it's all built into the smart contract. Well, if you think a little bit outside of the box, you can do that with pretty much anything. You can have this agreements in your business, like in my business with social media, every single client I have, there's specific things that they have to fulfill and I have to fulfill. And you can have this all built in into this Ethereum smart contract. It's This shit gets crazy. I don't want to lose, lose you guys here, but just I know I was super pumped and excited for this, uh, <laughs> this episode. I hope all of this makes sense. Please DM me if you have any questions. Like I said, Bitcoin's super volatile. The best way I recommend it is invest what you can afford to lose. And again, with Bitcoin, investors actually lose and savers win. Okay, that's usually the opposite. Usually savers lose and investors win. But Bitcoin is a deflationary asset. You're not saving cash here. So what happens is it, this is really an accumulation game, in my opinion. You want to get as many Bitcoins as you want. You want to make sure you own the private keys, which again, that, all, that stuff all comes later. But people are going to be after your Bitcoin, man. I mean, people really, really want this stuff. And I can prove it because Nigeria already put a ban on Bitcoin. Okay, and the way they do it is they, they're, they're trading it for like a 25% premium or something, 24% premium. And essentially, you have to buy Bitcoin for 24% more of what it's actually worth. And that's because they're trying to, they're scared of it. They flat out said it, but it's, it's in the, it can't be stopped. It lives on the blockchain. It's peer to peer. It, no one person or bank or something owns it. Uh, certain places have tried to ban it completely. And people have been arrested in Venezuela for having too high of an energy bill because they found out they went to their house and they found out, yo, they're mining Bitcoin. And they're like, no, we don't want that. They become too powerful. They become their own bank. And then we lose. Yes. Bitcoin transfers roughly $140,000 worth of Bitcoin every second with the help of no bank. 60% of all Bitcoin has not moved circulation in the last 18 months. Okay, with how, and bear with me, with how volatile Bitcoin is, where it's literally gone up 35% in, in the day and then dropped 50% the next day. That has happened. It's rare, but it has happened. But the, the people holding it, 60% of them never sold it, never moved it. It stayed in their wallets. I'm one of those people. Never sold any Bitcoin. Ever. 
that's just, this is an accumulation game. So you have to have a strong stomach, but just trust the process. I promise you. Uh, but that says, that says a lot, 60%. So they really, really believe they have those strong stomachs to kind of hold out that volatility and, and they see the potential in the assets. Again, it's scarce, it's liquid, it's deflationary. This is like the best thing. Like I said, Tesla has 1.5 billion uh, in Bitcoin, okay? They made over a billion dollars on that investment alone in the first 45 days of owning it. Paul Tudor Jones, another one. And this is this is why I want to end this podcast. And I, this isn't my quote. I heard this from somewhere else, but I'm paraphrasing. I forget who said it. But he said, Bitcoin reveals how much our government actually believes in human rights. If they don't trust their own citizens to have control of their own money, that says less about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, and it says way more about the government. So I'll just leave you with that. And like I said earlier, wealth is never destroyed. It's transferred. In every crisis, every pandemic, every depression, economic, is an opportunity. So, like I said in the beginning, don't overcomplicate this. If you understand the basics, such as peer-to-peer technology, deflationary asset, if you understand inflation of our current system, how the government and the banks honestly don't have our backs, how the stimulus, although it sounds good on paper, it's one of the worst things we can be doing, just my opinion. I think if they took the money and they did different things with it and they did things to jumpstart the economy in a real way, like you know, making sure everyone got a vaccine or, or whatever it might be to make sure or people go back to work so we can get the real economy going, not quantitative easing where we just inject it. You know, really think about this. I know this is out-of-the-box thinking, but what if they took that money and, and they gave people financial education? I think this national emergency would be not as bad. Just like we are racing to roll out vaccines, we must really hurry up and educate our citizens on our own money and the depreciating purchasing power and how rapid it is right now. Why aren't we talking about this? Why don't we hear this from our government? Why don't we hear about the power of holding assets and why saving is not a good strategy and it's actually destroying you? That would, in my opinion, be the right thing to do with our current system. That would be the right thing to do because it's so unfair for the majority of people right now who don't understand all this information. Why is it hidden? Why is it not in plain sight? I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know. But you now have the information to literally change your life. I'm not trying to be cocky, but I'm grateful to have been able to do it for my own. And now I feel it's my really part of my mission to spread this information. And that's why I'm so passionate about cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin and Ethereum, specifically blockchain technology, because it is hands down the most disruptive thing I have ever seen. In my opinion, it's bigger than the internet. We've seen how rapidly, I mean, if you're a millennial, you kind of grew up on the internet, but you've kind of seen the progress, the progress of 
how things have really changed over the past just two years. <laughs> when you look into blockchain, you're, it starts to click. You say, holy shit, the world will never be the same. So with that, I encourage you, do research, invest, don't waste any time. Trust the process. If you're listening to this, I believe you listen to it for a reason. Trust that and run towards your future, baby, because your freedom awaits you. You just have to have to, you just have to have the proper mindset and know it in your heart that it's there and you will attract and create the proper strategies to get there. And hopefully today was one of those was presented to you. So thank you so much for listening to Breadcrumbs of Inspiration. I am so passionate about this knowledge and I will continue to share with you everything I know. God bless. Talk soon.